Welcome back to the South Harbor Church Podcast. South Harbor is a part of the Harbor Churches, which exist to help people find their way back to God. This week, Pastor Tim continues our study of Noah from the book of Genesis. This week, we consider what is God's responsibility in all of this? As always, for more information about how you can become a part of the South Harbor Church community, stick around after the message. And now, let's head over to Pastor Tim. Genesis chapter 6. If you have a Bible, love for you to join uh, me in turning there. Um, if you are following along in your devotional, we are in week 8 this week. And you, did you pick this up at the door? Did everyone grab one of these? Uh, so um, we've had gotten some questions around, okay, which week are we in? And uh, they're, they're not listed by date. Um, they're listed by week. Uh, that's intentional because we wanted these to be something that people could use after the series is done. However, it creates confusion while we're in the series. And so the bookmark, the bookmark, the bookmark is here to help you. Uh, so this is our, um, our assist to you. Hopefully it's helpful. Um, and hopefully you're finding this to be helpful. Uh, so we're, we're in week eight this week, and we are back in the story of Noah. Now, um, if you were with us last week, take a deep breath. Uh, we covered a lot last week. Uh, last week we... Um, we looked at a lot of stuff. Uh, really, my goal last week, and uh, hopefully this was, hopefully I accomplished the goal, uh, I really wanted to show you how the story of Noah is not just a standalone story. Um, it's a good story. It's a stand, it stands on its own. But really, if you want the full impact of this particular story, you have, it's connected by, um, by its author. This story is connected to another story. Uh, and there's all sorts of these connections that you can draw between the story of Noah and the story of Adam and Eve. Uh, so much so that really you need both stories to kind of see the big point that God's trying to communicate here. Um, on their own, both tell great stories. But uh, when you bring those two stories together, just like bringing two eyes together or two ears together, you begin to hear the story in 3D um, or in stereo. And so that was the goal, uh, but it was a lot. And so um, you could take a deep breath. We covered a lot of ground last week. We'll cover some more ground this week. Um, uh, now, initially... Uh, it, it, I, what I was in, intending to talk about was, um, was not where we're going to go, but let me just kind of give you the, the cliff notes of that. Um, we um, really talked last week about how God's plan A uh, for creation was God initially seems to have wanted to plant uh, to partner with all people. So first, Adam and Eve are going to be the conduits for all people, and all people are called to bless. They're all, we're all blessed, and we're all called. I can't talk today. Is talking easy for you? Because it's not for me. Uh, we're all called to partner with God in blessing and caring for the creation. Uh, that's plan A. Adam and Eve fail, and then uh, Cain and Abel, they fail. And then Noah, uh, according to the, according, well, Noah fails too. That's the, that way we're going to spend some time talking about how Noah fails and how he's different than Abraham. It'll be Abraham who will become God's partner and uh, the Jewish people. And then um, by extension, uh, Jesus extends that invitation to all believers of him. Um, we become the partners of God, called to not just uh, know that we're blessed by God, but actually to be people who are advancing God's blessing to everyone and all, everything. Um, so that was plan A kind of fails. Adam and Eve fail. Cain and Abel fail. Noah fails. Uh, and plan B is going to be God's going to partner with a man who becomes a family, who becomes a people, who becomes a nation, who becomes a church. And, uh, and so we're, we'll pick up that story with Abraham in a couple of weeks and kind of see what, how is Abraham different than, 
than Noah or Adam and Eve? How, how is this, this Abraham man different? What does he do that's different that God would look at Abraham and say, I can partner with you? Like, you've got what it takes to take this, this thing forward. Now, we were, we were going to spend the time today looking at that. I actually think it fits a little bit, maybe better anyway, when we talk about Abraham. But uh, instead of going there this morning, I, I want to instead uh, ask a question that I've gotten a couple of times throughout this week. And anytime I get the same question from a number of people from our church, uh, I, 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 I read that as, okay, God is trying to say something to me. And maybe this is something that we are to be talking about and thinking about. Um, because you're carrying the question. And if, if two of you or three of you are carrying this question, that usually is a good sign that more of us are, are holding the same question. And, uh, and so we're going to pivot a bit, and uh, we're going to ask this question and wrestle with this question together this morning, uh, especially when it comes to the Noah story. Here's the question. Is God good? I know it almost feels like, can I even say that? Can I even ask that question? Um, but you have the Noah story, and especially this this, uh, the line we read last week that kicks off the whole story, Genesis 6, verse 5. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. The Lord regretted that he made human beings on the earth and his heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created and with them the animals, the birds, and the creatures that move along the ground, for I regret that I have made them. Perhaps you were sitting here last week and you were thinking like, okay, all of these connections between Adam and Eve, okay, interesting, but, but what about the fact that God just said to kill everything? Like that feels like, okay, we can't just yada, yada, yada over God. It is, it is God who decides to flood the earth. It is God who decides to end the lives of everyone and everything that's not on that boat. What do we do, what do, we do with that? Um, it, it is God who says, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race. It's one of those uh, details that can keep you up at night. Uh, the question, is God good? Is God good? Actually, I think it's a more important question than even the question, is there a God? Because if there is a God, but he's not good, that, what do we do with that? Uh, um, is God good? Another way of asking that is, what kind of God is our God? Is God actually good? Is he actually loving? Um, and if so, why would God want to say, okay, destroy everything? Uh, if, if we just sang the song, Good, Good Father, um, is God a good, good father? You read a story like Noah, and it's like, okay, but I, I, what do I do with this story? Um, w- would you, those of you who are fathers or mothers, is... Is this how you would respond if your kids were not listening to you? And again and again, they wouldn't listen to you. Would you say, okay, let's bring a flood. Let's wipe them out. Like, it, like what do we what do? We do? Um, what, what do we do? And that question, by the way, opens up a floodgate, pun intended, a floodgate of other questions that you maybe have found yourself asking, or you have a friend or a loved one uh, who has asked these questions of you, and you found yourself, I don't know how to respond to these questions. Uh, things like, why do... Why do good or why do bad things happen to good people? Um, why 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 do bad things happen to good people? Or if God is all loving and all powerful, uh, so those two things which seem to be clear from the scriptures, God is all loving and all powerful, then why does evil seem to be still so prevalent? Um, couldn't God, uh, in His power, just say enough of the evil? 
If he's all powerful, he, he could. Um, so then is he not all loving? But if he's all, like, do you see how, uh, I was just talking to somebody from our band who works for Holland Public Schools and they were talking about another shooting that happened uh, near the schools this week. And it's like, how, wh- what do you do with this? Couldn't God just say no more of that? That's not the plan. We're not doing that anymore. What do we do with this? Um, or uh, another question, if God is all, all loving and all powerful, then why did he create, um, just to use the classic extreme example of evil, why create Hitler in the first place? Um, why, why do it? Uh, was it? Was it his plan for six million plus Jewish people to die at the hands of Hitler in the Holocaust? And if, if one more person died, would that no longer be his plan? Uh, and if one less person died, is, is that no longer his plan? Uh, and... Um, if this is how God plans things, then how can we say he is all-loving? And if God is all-powerful, then why doesn't he just put a stop to it? Um, if, if God is all-loving and all-powerful, then what, why do we still deal with things like tsunamis and hurricanes and earthquakes and the, the natural disasters that happen in our world? What do we do with that? Um, why, if God is all-loving and all-powerful, why are there, are there still... Uh, roughly 30,000 children a day that are still dying of starvation and preventable disease on our planet. Um, why, are, why are there school shootings and why are there terrorist attacks? And uh, um, why would God invent cancer? Like, why does cancer exist? Is God the cause of all of these problems that we're facing in our life? Is God the cause of child abuse? Is God the cause of cancer? Is God um, the, the reason for your, your broken heart? Uh, Tough questions. Uh, one of the things I, I think is really important for Christians is that we're just really honest with the questions we have. Um, God can handle it. God can handle it. Be honest. God, actually, I think one of the things you're going to see in Abraham is that Abraham has an honesty and a willingness to go to the hard places and ask the hard questions of God that Noah doesn't. God says, I'm going to destroy the world with a flood. Noah says, how big do you want the boat? Uh, God says to Abraham, I'm going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Abraham says, how dare you? But that's what he says. He's like, what, what are people going to say about you, God? You're supposed to be loving. What if there's righteous people there? Are you not going to show mercy? There's something about that attitude. Uh, the Jewish people call it chutzpah. There's something about chutzpah of like actually being willing to ask the hard questions that uh, I, I think God actually is looking for in his partners. Real questions. Um, but what I... I think um, is even more troubling to me than the questions sometimes. Like the questions are hard, um, but what can be, they get under your skin even more than the questions is how sometimes these questions are answered. Uh, I find that some answers to the questions actually create deeper and harder questions to answer. They become pretty toxic. Uh, Some answers, uh, the the typical answers I hear um, to the problem of evil kind of questions. Uh, I've heard people say things like, well, that's all, it's all part of God's plan. It's, all, it's just all part of God's plan, and really, evil is a good thing. Whatever you're seeing, the tsunami, the hurricane, the cancer, it's all really a good thing. See how that can be a little dangerous if you're saying that to somebody who just lost a loved one to cancer. Does that all part, that was all part of, like, what do we, what, what do, we do with that? Um, how could a God who's perfectly love allow the child abuse? That's part of his plan. Um, so that's the Try to figure that one out. Uh, the second bucket that people tend to answer this question in, it, that I've heard at least, is, well, it's not really God's fault. That's not, it's not God's fault. It's your fault. If you had more faith, then you wouldn't have these problems. So whatever evil you're experiencing, it must be somehow connected to something you did. 
Uh, this, uh, this tends to be what I would refer to as the try harder approach. Oh, you want to get healed from cancer? Well, you got to have more faith. Try harder. Oh, you want, you want to like the heart disease issue? Okay, just try harder. If you just tried harder, you wouldn't have that. Have more faith. I, um, one of the first funerals I did was of an incredible man, um, an incredible man of faith, but somehow he had gotten it locked into his head um, as he was dying of bone cancer. He got it locked into his head that this was his fault and that it, in fact, he was like, I shouldn't do treatment. I shouldn't have chemo. I shouldn't do any of this stuff because, because that shows God that I don't have enough faith, that he's just going to heal me. And we watched this man um, turn all those things down and, uh, and slowly um, lose sense of his own sense of faith because the cancer continued to progress, as, as cancer often does. Um, and so I, I find the try harder. It's all, it's all your fault. Uh, not super helpful. In fact, uh, this is the disciples when they come to Jesus and they say, why was this man born blind? Is this, is this his fault or his parents' fault? They seem to think too. It's like somehow it's some, one of our faults. That's the second bucket. Uh, the third bucket, I hear questions, this question of evil and why do bad things happen to good people and um, what do we do with all this? So the third bucket I hear, the third answer to the question is often the, I'll call this the, the God is teaching you a lesson category. Um, uh, why, why did this happen? Well, just God's trying to show you something. He's trying to teach you something. So just have patience. He's teaching you. And God often does teach us lessons through our pain, but is that why we have pain? Um, I may have told this story before, um, so apologize if, I, if I'm repeating myself. But I, one of my first memories as a pastor, uh, I was a um, college pastor, and I was meeting with this, um, this girl, young, young lady, who she struggled. So she had this question. She was probably 28 or so, um, so young lady. Uh, she had this question of why, when she worshipped, did she not feel it anymore? And I asked her the follow-up questions, like, tell me what, tell me what you're talking about. Um, like, did you like, used to feel a certain way? And she's like, yeah, when, when I was younger, I would go to church, and it's like the Spirit of God was right here, and I couldn't help myself. I'm like, I, my body had to get into it, and I'd shut my eyes, and it just like, felt like God was right there. And she said, but then it stopped. And I, I, I now go to church, and I'm singing the songs, and I'm doing like the, the things on, during the week. I'm reading my Bible. I'm praying. I'm doing all the things, but I don't feel it anymore. So why, did, like, why don't I feel it anymore? And I asked a few follow-up questions. And uh, I, so here was my follow-up question. I said, was like, there a moment you remember? It doesn't always happen in a moment, but was there like a moment where you remember the feeling kind of go away? And she said, she said, well, um, yeah, I mean, it was kind of like in my, my uh, earlier 20s, a couple years ago, and she said I was, um, so, I, so I asked, okay, what happened in that, in that period? And then she started crying, and she said, uh, I, uh, my, wife, my husband and I had been newly married, and we really wanted children, and um, we wanted to be young when we had kids, and so we, we started young, and we, um, and we couldn't get pregnant, and she said, we then invited all of our friends to, to pray for us and said, would you pray for us? And because um, we're really trying to get pregnant and we really believe God has designed us to be parents and wants us to be parents. And that's the desire of our hearts. And so we would want you to pray for this. And she said, and then um, we got pregnant and she said, and it was incredible. And we celebrated uh, with our friends and we told everybody that we were pregnant. And then she said, I, uh, we, I lost the baby, and, um, 
I didn't know what to do with myself. So I went to a pastor, and the pastor said, I don't, I don't know what to tell you. You should go talk to somebody at the seminary. Uh, and so I went and talked to a professor. And the professor's response to her question, which is, why did I lose this baby? It felt like God gave me this baby, and then I lost the baby. And the professor's response to her question was, well, God is trying to test you in some way. And when you learn the lesson God is trying to teach you, he will give you that child. And I remember sitting there thinking, oh, and you wonder why you don't feel God's presence in worship. You were told that the kind of God you serve is the kind of God that would dangle a child in front of you and then take it away and then not even tell you why and not tell you how, how to find the answers. But someday, somehow you'll find the answers. To feel the presence of that kind, like that kind of God, if just to name what that is, would be a monster. So the, I, I find the whole God is trying to teach you this lesson, and when you figure out the lesson, to be not super helpful, not super helpful. Um, uh, what's worse, I think, from all of these is that for many people, uh, they don't even dare ask the question. This tends to be a lot of us who grew up inside of kind of good Reformed churches. Um, they like, we don't ask, we don't ask that question. Right? You don't ask the question of why did this happen or, or how did this happen or... Be, uh, because I, I don't know. I don't want to get struck down by a lightning bolt. You've heard that, right? What kind of God is like the image of God sitting up in the clouds with a lightning bolt just waiting for you to ask the wrong question? How dare you question me? Uh, just to strike you down with a lightning bolt. Again, like I, I, I don't find that super compelling. We should be people who wrestle with these, with these things. Now, um, before we dive into the to the Noah story in particular. That's the big one. We're going to spend some time there. But before we dive into the Noah story, let me just name this. I think this is probably the most important point. Um, and it's a point that we have made here as a church again and again and again and again and again. When you're reading your Bible, uh, you will bump into stories that are hard to find answers to. Doesn't mean there's not answers out there. Doesn't mean there's not good reasons for why the stories are said the way. I'm gonna, I'll, I'll, we'll try to wrestle through the Noah story, but what you're going to find is they're going to bump into these stories, and it's going to be hard. Uh, and, uh, and it doesn't mean you should stop asking the questions. It doesn't mean you should just settle for simple answers to complex questions. But you're going to bump into those kinds of stories. Here's what we say here as a church again and again and again. When it comes to the tough passages in particular, when it comes to the questions of what kind of God is God, it is really, 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 really important that we get all of our understanding about who God is primarily, first and foremost, from Jesus. Okay? We start with Jesus. He uh, the, the New Testament authors will describe Jesus as, they'll say that everything before Christ was like a mystery. It was like a shadow. Uh, and you can tell some things from someone's shadow, but you can't tell everything from someone's shadow. In Christ, the shadow, we, we know the God behind the shadow. So Christ is how we understand God. Jesus himself will say um, that he is the word of God. That's John 1.1. 1, 1. It's not a lot of words of God. There's one word of God, and his name is Jesus. Um, he's the image of God, Paul will say in Colossians 1.15. Uh, he's the form of God. Philippians 2, again, Paul, 
Uh, uh, the, the author Hebrews has my favorite. He says that Jesus is the singular perfect representation of God's essence. That's pretty good. Uh, and then uh, Jesus himself says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Why are you looking other places for the Father? Look to me. Uh, no one knows the Father except the Son, Jesus will say. I say that to say that when you are trying to wrestle with the hard passages, wrestle with them. Ask good questions, but understand that first and foremost, if ever you're seeing, okay, this doesn't feel like a loving God, a good God, a good, good father, you have to ask the question, well, what kind of God has Jesus revealed? Does Jesus ever give, give someone a disease just to prove a point, to test their faith? Does Jesus ever abuse children just because he can, he's powerful? Does, does Jesus ever just, does Jesus cause tsunamis or does Jesus cause earthquakes? Or just, does Jesus cause any natural disasters just to kind of shake things up? Uh, the answer is no. Again and again, what you find with Jesus is he, he heals people who have disease. He, doesn't, he, he shot, like, shoots down people who say, well, this must, have a, like, this must be their fault. He shoots them down and says, no, this is not, you're, you're missing the point. Uh, Jesus calms creation. Creation seems to be in chaos and he calms creation. But he doesn't cause it. Does this make sense? When we get our image of God, we gotta start with Jesus. Jesus is the one who says, I have come that they may have life and life abundantly. There is an enemy and the enemy has come to kill, steal, and destroy. The Bible will refer to the enemy as Satan, the devil, or demons, um, but the principalities and powers. Um, but there is an enemy, but it's not Jesus. It's not our God. Um, um, another analogy that I've, I think I've shared here a couple times uh, that has helped me when processing this, uh, is, um, okay, so here's, here's the, the metaphor. Again, I apologize if, you've, if I'm repeating myself, but imagine um, my wife and I, uh, we've been married now 12 years, something like that. Um, we're walking downtown uh, Grand Rapids, and I, for some reason, fall behind, and she walks up ahead, and I see her talking to somebody who's homeless, and they're clearly homeless. They clearly live on the streets. They're begging, and they're homeless, and she's talking to them. And all of a sudden, I see my wife get a dis, like a disgusted look on her face and then kick the homeless man. Okay, uh, I now, who's at a distance, standing back here, I now have an option. I can pretend that didn't happen. Like, I'm just going to ignore the fact that my wife just kicked a homeless man uh, because that's embarrassing. So I can just pretend it didn't happen. I can, uh, I can choose to divorce her. Like, why would I marry somebody who kicks homeless people? That's awful. So I could choose to like, okay, no, we're done. We are done. Um, or, I don't know what happened over there. Um, or I could choose that to, to trust the character of my wife. I know, I know who my wife is. I know what her character is. That something up there happened that I don't know. I don't know all the answers. I don't know what happened in that exchange that caused that response. But I know the character of my wife. I think for a lot of us, when we come to the hard passages of the Bible, the Noah story, for instance, uh, it's a hard passage to wrestle with. So what some people will do is just ignore it and be like, eh, it's at the beginning. Don't worry about it. Um, or other people will say, okay, I'm done with God. How dare you, God? You kill those people, we're done. We're done. I advocate that we trust the character of Jesus on um, that maybe there's something, even if we don't Hopefully we can get some tools to wrestle with this story. But even if you didn't have access to those tools, or you didn't know them, that something happened here that I don't fully understand, but I do know the character of our God as revealed in Jesus. 
Am I being clear on this point? This is a big deal to me. Okay, so that we're clear on this one. Everything else we'll talk about is interesting. I find it really interesting. But um, when it comes to the hardest questions of our faith, we start and we end with what kind of God was revealed by Jesus. Now, with that said, we still have the question on the table. Uh, what on earth do we do with the Noah story? How could a good God flood the earth? Let's do our best to wrestle this question down. Um, first, so let me give you three things. First, I, w- I would remind you that the Noah story is intentionally teeing up the Abraham story. Okay, so what you're going to discover is plan A fails. And so you have a pattern um, that God wants to show us that Adam and Eve and then Cain and Abel and then Abraham. The plan fails. And so God is going to shift the plan with Abraham. He's now going to partner with a man and and then that man's kids and then later the church. Um, The plan is going to shift. Uh, The mission is the same. Take care of creation, partner with God, but the plan is going to shift. And so in many ways, what you have here is to the first, the first group of believers, they're trying to wrestle with, why did God choose us? Talk to an a, a, a Orthodox religious Jew, and they'll still ask this question. Why would God make us grow out our sideburns and wear the, the, the little hat? And why does God make us have the tassels? Why us? This story is trying to answer the question. Why go through all, why not eat meat? Why, like, why take a Sabbath? Like, All of that, this text is really trying to to tee up. Abraham's going to be different. He's going to do it differently. So in some ways, we're supposed to compare and contrast Noah and Abraham. Okay, that's that's the first thing. Uh, Second thing, doesn't really answer our question, but that's my first response. The second thing is, uh, it's really important to remember that flood stories, or important to know, maybe I should say, that flood stories are not unique to the Bible. Let me say that again. Flood stories are not unique to the Bible. There are flood stories in most ancient cultures. Uh, this isn't the only one. All of the neighbors of the, of the Jewish people had flood stories. The, the Babylonians had a flood story. The Chaldeans had a flood story. The, the, there was flood stories in Mesopotamia and the Sumerians and the Egyptians. They all had flood stories. Now, we can ask all, all kinds of questions as to why, especially in this region of the world. There's a lot of flood stories. We can ask questions as to why. Some argue that the reason why is because it, it, the, the flood was a localized flood. So when you read that the, the world was flooded, this group of people argue that it's not the whole world. It was their whole world. The, their whole world is flooded. Um, and so if... What, so you have all of these stories, especially in this part of the world, because it was their whole world that was flooded, and something happened that they're trying to explain or trying to make sense of, and, uh, and so they tell these stories because it was a localized flood. That's, that's one answer. You may find that satisfactory. You may find that not satisfactory. That's, that's one answer. Uh, another group of people will say, no, it's not a localized flood. It is a global flood. That's why we have stories, even in the Native Americans, of floods. There was something that happened. And anytime you have a historic cultural memory that expands continents, something happened. Still leaves the question of why did that happen, but something happened. Um, If you're interested, uh, you can go deep down the rabbit hole on this. Um, There is a theory now that's gaining pop. For for years, this particular theory uh, was held amongst religious people, but but non-religious people looked at it and said... Silly, silly believers. 
Um, but, but now there's a growing group of people that aren't religious who are looking and saying something did happen. Uh, the, the theory, if you're, if you're interested now, it's being referred to as the Younger Dryas Theory, D-R-Y-A-S, the Younger Dryas uh, Theory. Um, and you can chase that rabbit all you want. Um, it, all of that is outside of my intellectual ability. I am... Uh, I grew up in the outskirts of the city of Borkulo, Michigan. I'm just a simple guy. I don't know. I don't know. Um, all I, knew, I do know, and I can say this with some confidence, is that all of the neighbors of the ancient Israelites had flood stories. And many of those flood stories predate this particular flood story. In other words, your first audience, the Jewish people, the first audience of this, this story would have known the other flood stories. And so what we should be doing is asking the question, what is the similarities between the flood stories? But more important, what are the differences between the way they tell the flood story and the way all the other cultures tell their flood stories? If we can identify the difference, we might be able to discover why the Jewish people, why the Noah story is such a big deal to them, like what they're trying to tell us about who our God is. Uh, the main flood story at the time um, is a flood story known as the Epic of Gilgamesh. Have you heard of the Epic of Gilgamesh? Okay, a handful of you. Okay, uh, the, uh, I will give you the over, overly simplified version of the Epic of Gilgamesh. It, it's one of the oldest stories that's ever been found. A story involves a hero named Gilgamesh, um, and he's on a journey throughout the world. He's traveling uh, throughout the, the, one of the biggest empires of that day known as Mesopotamia, and he meets all these gods. Um, and every god he meets kind of comes in three parts. Uh, part one is he meets the gods. Part two is the, the gods start to get jealous of him and get angry with him. Um, they, they, don't, they don't like how noisy people are. Like, you guys are, like, we told you kids, keep the music down. Like, they, the gods are, like, real petty. And then the, the third part is because the gods get so angry, uh, they want to destroy everything. We're gonna, you know what? We warned you. We're going to destroy everything. Uh, and then, uh, so the story continues, and we meet this hero in the story. Um, it, the hero's name is spelled U-T-N-A-P-I-S-H-T-I-M. I didn't know how to pronounce that. I looked it up. It's called, you pronounce it, you now pushed him. <laughs> Something like that, close. You now pushed him is like the Noah character in the story. Uh, you now pushed him, meets the god of storm and thunder. He's furious with the world. Uh, that, that you keep the music down. Uh, he's furious. And so uh, he says, I'm going to destroy the world to you now pushed him. And, uh, and he refers to the way he's going to destroy the world as with the great flood. You now pushed him, sees what's coming and decides, I'm going to build a raft and I'll invite every animal on top of the raft. And if I do it so that the, the, the gods don't see me do it, if I do it like secretly and quietly, I can outsmart the gods. And that's the story. He builds a raft, outsmarts the gods, the gods get angry again, and there's constant tension. Now, uh, another name for this area of Mesopotamia is Chaldea. Uh, this area is actually right here, uh, is where Abraham is from. So if you're telling a story to the, the descendants of Abraham, they all know the Epic of Gilgamesh. What you're trying to highlight here is what's different between the one true God and all the gods that are worshipped uh, by the, by the uh, Mesopotamians. What's different in the stories? Um, first, notice it is God who initiates the partnership. This isn't 
uh, us outsmarting the gods or trying to trick the gods. In fact, it's, it's God who shuts the door to the ark. It's God who saves humanity in the story. So if your neighbors are all telling the same story of these gods who like, are like petty and angry, this God actually, he's the one who saves us. Second thing uh, is that this particular, the Noah story, uh, ends with God making a covenant with humanity. Uh, some quick cultural stuff. Uh, this particular covenant, we know the, the, what's the sign of the covenant? The rainbow. Uh, this particular covenant is known as a suzerain vassal covenant. A suzerain is a, uh, somebody who's got more power and a vassal is somebody who has less power. Often you would enter into these kind of covenant agreements because this party, the vassal, owes something to the suzerains. And so the suzerains um, put them in slavery in, of sorts, uh, indentured servitude. Uh, and so you would form this kind of covenant. Now, uh, you would want to keep a sign of the covenant if you're the vassal. Don't kill me. Don't destroy my family. Um, and so you would carry some kind of a sign of the covenant. Uh, and it was your responsibility to carry the sign of the covenant. That sign of the covenant is like a receipt. Like, we had this deal. This is my receipt. The rainbow, here's the power of this particular story, is formed in a suzerain vassal kind of covenant. However, it's God, this is shocking to an ancient world, it's God who is the suzerain, he's the stronger party, who says, I will initiate the covenant and I'll keep the receipt. I'll keep the sign. And what's the sign? I will take my war bow that's been stretched out against humanity and I will hang the war bow up in the clouds, pointed at me. I will not break my vow. So the power of comparing these two stories is the, the Mesopotamian story, the Epic of Gilgamesh, is an angry God. The gods are angry. This story tells of a God who is different. Uh, the story begins, Genesis 6, the Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth and his heart was deeply troubled. That's how it begins but the story ends, Genesis 8. Never again will I curse the ground because of humans, even though, every, even though every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood. And never again will I destroy all living creatures. This is such a different story. It's such a different story. Our God is different. Hear the message they're trying to tell the neighbors. As the neighbors are telling the story, our God is different. Our God is not angry. Our God is not absent. Our God is not dumb. Our God is Good. Okay, that's the second. Is that, we good so far? <laughs> yes. Okay, third, third thing. Uh, just in case we missed this, we missed this whole point, and it, is he good, but really, a flood, what do we do with that? The author of Genesis wants to make sure that their audience didn't miss the point of the story. And so the author of Genesis, okay, let me pause real quick. We got time, we're good. Uh, we are called to love the Lord our God with all of our hearts, all of our soul, and with all of our strength, and with all of our minds. Okay, we're going to work our mind just for a second. I promise you the payoff will be here. Stay with me. Um, the, there is an ancient literary structure. I introduced it in week 
two of the series, when we're looking at Genesis one, because you're gonna see this come up a lot in the book of Genesis. It's an ancient structure that was built into, um, Genesis uses it a lot, the the Gospel of Mark uses it a lot. It's not everywhere, but it's especially true in these two. Um, The structure is known, anybody remember the name for it? Chiasm, okay? So uh, I know, think, think with me. So the, the way a chiasm works, remember we talked about, we played the game's patterns. Look for patterns, especially, are there any numbers that tend to be repeated? Pay attention to that, may be a thing. Uh, in this particular story, we have seven show up a lot, and then we have 40 show up a lot, and then we have 150 show up a lot. Well, that's interesting. Uh, Hey, so the way a chiasm works is you will often have a story told in a specific way, and then you find the same story told almost in reverse, all pointing to the center of the story. And what we said then was at the center of the story, it functions like X marks the spot on a treasure map. What the Bible will do is often give you the X marks the spot, but then it gives you the treasure map. So it buries the treasure, but it gives you the map. If you have an important story, the most important stories in Genesis will often be structured as a chiasm. In English, they kind of read choppy because it's written as a chiasm. The Noah story, if you read it through, reads choppy. It's created all kinds of debate amongst religious people of, is there multiple authors? Because why would they say this number, then this other number over here? It's a chiasm. Let me show you. By the way, does that make sense? Let me, let me give you the example. I think, I think you'll see it once we get into the story. Um, by the way, uh, stay, stay here a minute. The A, go back real quick. There we go. Um, sorry about that. That's my bad. Uh, so the A point will often begin the story and end the story, and then the B point will show up back again and the C again and again and again. Okay, does this make sense? Okay. Um, now, uh, what I recommend with this, if you, if you play at home, is begin by looking for numbers. That's usually your clear sign. Is there numbers repeated in Genesis? Those would be your clear signs because it's the easiest to see. And then you can follow the pattern. Usually you can, you can just start to see it. I like to color code the, these because I'm a nerd. Um, I find that helpful. Um, but it's a little bit technical. Let me show you the chiasm. Uh, okay, so first, story begins... By the way, this is uh, just screenshots from my Microsoft Word. So, um, but the story begins with Noah. God calls Noah, and then uh, he's got three sons. We're told their names, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Uh, go make an ark. It's, there's going to be floodwaters that are going to cover the earth. Uh, but I will establish a covenant with you. And then, by the way, take every kind of food and store it away as food for you and the animals. Uh, and then go in the ark. Seven days from now, I will send rain. And then that word, that seven days comes up again. Seven days from the floodwaters came, seven days later, the floodwaters came on the earth. By the way, this is the entire Noah story um, on your screen. So uh, then they entered the ark. The Lord shut them in. For 40 days, the waters came on the earth. The waters rose and increased. It covered even the mountains. Uh, And the waters flooded the earth for 150 days. Okay, so that's your movement in. Now, if you notice, if you're paying attention, you begin to see the same language show up again, only in reverse, like somebody held a mirror up to it. The water receded steadily from the earth at the end of the 150 days. Uh, The the ark came to rest on the mountains. The water continued to recede. After 40 days, Noah opens a window, sends out a raven, wait seven more days, wait seven more days. Come out of the ark. 
the animals will be food for you. He makes a covenant. Never again will there be a flood. They come out of the ark. The three sons are named by name, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And then you've got the name Noah. Just so you can see it all. I spent so much time just putting those on the screen. Just so you can see the whole chiasm together, every word in the story. You need really, 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 really good eyes. Um, but this is the whole thing. The whole chiasm. By the way, is that not cool? I find that. I, somebody out there is a nerd like me. And find, somebody, okay, do this. Take your hands. Go like this. Put them by the sides of your head. Shut your eyes and go pew. Yes, these kinds of things are cool. I, it's just like the, like, Bruce Willis has been dead the whole time. Uh, Maverick is going to fly the plane. Um, what are the other ones? Uh, Edward Norton and Brad Pitt are both Tyler Durden. So, uh, Steve Urkel is also Stefan or Kel. Uh, Liza said yes to Tim. Uh, like, uh, like the, you read the story and you're thinking, like, this whole story, it kind of reads choppy. It actually doesn't read like a great story until you realize, oh, it's not just a great story. This is a mind-blowing story. The way the author, and if you, if you hold together what, what, what God did last week, connecting the story to the Genesis story and this, it's mind-blowing. I would argue that these are the kinds of stories that if you have questions about, is there a God, you find this kind of thing again and again and again. We are just, we're just not smart enough for this kind of work. We're just not. And these kinds of patterns show up again and again and again and again and again. And you see them and you think, wow. This is one of my favorites. Um, there's one coming up that I like even better. Um, teaser alert. Uh, but but the, the point of a chiasm, I recollect myself, the point of a chiasm isn't just to impress us. Has God done that? Yeah. But that's not the point of a chiasm. The chiasm has a point. The point of a chiasm is what? What should, be, what should you be looking for in a chiasm? Where's the center? The point of the chiasm is to point to the center. The reason they, they, the, the authors will make decisions to make it a little choppy and use the, the, the language seven days, seven days, 150, 40, because it's trying to point to the center. It wants us to see the center. We've kind of lost our ability to read this kind of literature, and so it's a muscle we don't really flex. I want us to start flexing this muscle. Um, but to an ancient world, they understood what was happening when they see this kind of story. They understand the structure of a chiasm. What's the center? I'm glad you asked. Genesis 8, verse 1. But God remembered Noah and all the wild animals and livestock that were with him in the ark. But God remembered Noah. That is how this God is different. If all the neighbors are talking about how the gods are angry and wanting to destroy everything, but God remembered Noah. That's the message. This God doesn't forget you. This God remembers you. Those four words, but, but God remembered Noah. Uh, if you've got your own Bible, you should circle those words. Um, it is my hunch that some of you may need those words to be true for you today. Maybe you take those words and you um, insert your name where it says, but God remembered Noah. But God remembered you. Um, your 
a student. And right now, to be a student, um, just talking to the few of you who I've had a chance to talk to, it's not easy. The temptations, the pressures, uh, you have all the things like school and extracurricular and sports, and you add a component of social media, and you add a component of the, the, um, the new pressures, vaping, and, um, and you add all of this, and it feels like you're standing back and thinking, it's like the floodwaters are coming over, and I don't know if anyone sees me. Remember what it's like to be a teenager? Does anybody see me? And maybe you this week need to sit down and just remember, but God remembers and then fills in, fill in your name. Um, or maybe uh, for you it's financial. Uh, you're filing your taxes and realized we don't have enough. And uh, the bills are higher than the, um, the money coming in. And you work really hard for a job that you don't necessarily love, um, or you do love it, it's just not gonna pay you what you need. It's just not gonna work. And you're watching it all and you're thinking, I'm slowly going underwater. And you need to be reminded, but God remembers me. Um, or maybe for you, uh, it, somebody you love is going through something, uh, somebody you love is hurting, or... Somebody you love hurt you, and you don't know what to do with that. Uh, you want it to work, and so you feel kind of alone because you don't want to vent to your friends because you don't want to change how they think about you or about them, and you don't want to talk to your family about it because then they might look at this person different too, and so you just kind of bottle it in, and you just sit with it, and you're also asking the question, are we gonna make it? And the floodwaters feel like they're coming in over the sides. And maybe you take this story and you, you're reminded that we have a God who in the midst of the flood is good. And your prayer is, God, would you remember me? I don't know what your story is, um, I don't know what your thing in, in your life right now is, but I do know that our God wants to heal that. He wants to heal it. He wants what you want. He wants to heal it. And he doesn't abandon us in the flood. He doesn't leave us on our own. He's not angry. What you find in Jesus is that God himself says, how will they know that I will not abandon them in their pain? The only way they're gonna know is if they watch me in it with them. Uh, P.S. God remember Noah, but God remember Noah. Um, the question is left hanging. Will, will Noah remember God? Um, God remembers Noah, but will Noah remember God? And uh, will he be a partner? And we will talk more about that when we get to the Abraham story in a couple of weeks. Um, but before we do that, there's another story that sits between this story and the Abraham story. It's a story of a, of a tower called Babel. And next week, I want to I look at that story with you. I think this particular um, lesson in the text, it's only a few verses in our Bible, but I, I find it to be one of the most relevant messages um, for our world today. Uh, the story of the Tower of Babel is the story of a new invention called the brick. It's new technology. 
And this new technology opens up the world to all kinds of good things. And this new technology uh, comes with a cost, has a risk associated. Um, So next week, I want to talk about technology. And in particular, I want to spend some time thinking together about addiction. Um, Because most of us have one of these. So I would love for you to join us. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Lord. Uh, For everyone who this morning wonders if they're all alone and that you have forgotten them, uh, Lord, I pray that you would remind them that you're a God who is present, you're a God who is good, and you're not the kind of God who would abandon his creation. There is an enemy in this world, but God, we know, we believe it's not you. And so, Lord, I pray that you would resurrect uh, any Um, hopes in this room that have died. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would resurrect any, uh, especially young people who right now feel like they have zero, zero worth. Lord, I pray that you would resurrect in them a sense of who they are in your eyes. Uh, Lord, I pray for every relationship right now who is just hurting. Would you heal? Lord, would, would you remind us that you remember us? And Jesus, we pray this in your name. And everybody said. We hope that this week's message has brought you both some challenge and some blessing. For more information about how you can become a part of the South Harbor Church community, find us on the web at www.southharbor.org or find us on Facebook and Instagram at South Harbor Church. And on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m., you can find our service streamed live on our Facebook page. And so from all of us here at South Harbor and the Harbor Churches, we want to wish you a blessed week.